Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, guys. Today, we are discussing Season 2, Episode 7, The Client. And in this episode, Michael and Jan have a big meeting. Pam finds a gold mine in Michael's office. And love is in the air. So in this episode's cold open, we see Ryan returning from the dry cleaners with Michael's lucky tie in preparation for the big meeting that he and Jan have with a representative from Lackawanna County. And along with the tie comes a pair of jeans. And Pam immediately says, wait a minute, are those his Levi's? And Ryan's like, yeah, who dry cleans jeans? (laughs) Apparently Michael loves these jeans. Yeah, and Pam says there's just a montage of Michael kind of dancing around or doing kind of just crazy stuff because he loves how he looks in these jeans. And Pam says that she thinks that's why Michael instituted Casual Fridays. My only problem with this statement is that it is never followed through on. Um, We've seen The Office on a Friday. It was the Halloween episode. And I believe there are subsequent Fridays, but we never see them have casual Fridays until again in season five. So that's just a little bit of an inconsistency. To me, there's not much difference between Gene Michael and regular Michael. He seems to be doing the same stuff that he wouldn't just be doing on a regular basis. That's fair. He's equally as obnoxious, uh, whether he's in his Levi's or a business suit. Right. So after that, we see Jan and Michael prepping for their meeting with the representative from Lackawanna County. And Jan has a bunch of tables and graphs ready for Michael. And Michael is very, not really dismissive of them, but it's it's just kind of like a, whoa, boy, there's a lot of stuff here. You can tell that's not how he prepares for his meetings. He's more of a feelings guy, I would say, rather than hard numbers. For sure. And this is a big client, as Jim tells the camera. This would maybe help prevent um, the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch from downsizing because it's the entire county. And as Jan is pointing out to Michael, in the graphs and the tables, that's the schools, the hospitals, um, the county administration. So that's a pretty big deal. And Jan is really trying to prep Michael. I get the feeling that the point of the meeting, the pre-meet uh, with with Jan and Michael, is really to impress upon Michael to not talk. Yeah. Jan says that several times, like, you're going to let me do the talking. And I could see the reason for Jan's concern because Michael changed the location of the meeting. Yes, the meeting was initially set for the Radisson, and Michael thought that that was too snooty, because that's, you know, the Radisson's so fancy. Do Radisson's exist anymore? I would think so, somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And he moves it from the Radisson to Chili's. 
So we get another Chili's placement here. Apparently the only restaurant in Scranton besides Poor Richard's, which is a bar. Right. Michael says that Chili's is the new golf course, and that's according to Small Businessman magazine. However, it's not something that they printed. It's it's in the letter to the editor that he wrote recently. That he hopes gets published. It has not yet been published. Right. We get the Chili's, and... We meet the representative from Lackawanna County. Christian is Christian's his name. Christian's his name. And he's played by Tim Meadows, who I think just does a fantastic job in this cameo role. And he would have still been on Saturday Night Live at this point. I believe so. So, although Saturday Night Live is filmed in New York, still all NBC uh, shows. And as they're driving to Chili's, though, Michael keeps asking Jan... If he wants to have a signal in case they get into any trouble. And Jan's reiterating, you're not doing any talking here. But almost immediately, Michael makes the meeting super awkward. Tim Meadows plays Christian as sort of reserved and wants to get down to business and sort of closed off. As you would be if you're meeting someone in a business context for the first time. Like you're not... This isn't a personal relationship. You just are kind of meeting to go over numbers, essentially, especially in a sales sort of uh, meeting. You would think there'd be some sort of icebreaker type conversation, though, I guess. Like just a... Yeah. It just depends. Like, it's a little surprising that they... Well, I guess maybe not. Like... Jan and Michael are salespeople. I was, was going to say it's surprising that they wouldn't have had any sort of interaction before. Like, I just think in our community, a lot of business people are interconnected because they are at charity events or sure. political events or things like that. They would have bumped into each other at some point, um, yeah. but maybe that's just not the situation. But Michael makes it a little awkward off the bat because Michael introduces Jan saying, and here's Jan Levinson Gould. And Jan's like, oh, nope, just Jan Levinson. And Michael jumps on that immediately in a very just inappropriate sense of like, oh, what happened? What happened to Gould? Did he die? Which is just so, like I said, just inappropriate in a business setting with a colleague. Who's your boss, actually? That's your boss. I'm I'm curious why Jan corrected Michael in the first place. Like, I understand, like, since it's a business setting, like, trying to make sure that everything is on the up and up and all information is correct. But she had to know that Michael was probably going to ask about this. Yeah, that's true. She could have kind of let it go and and corrected him after the fact. And the fact that no one's exchanging business cards is a little weird, but she would have had to get new business cards, I guess, too. Right. Um, This does seem like a very recent development. Yes, like within maybe a couple of weeks or a month or something like that. So, yeah, Jan is no longer married. She tells Michael they divorced. And Jan is looking pained and just trying to get the meeting back on track. Um, she didn't want to be at this Chili's anyways. She, I'm not sure if she wanted Michael to come along or not. I, I guess he kind of had to as a representative of the branch that would be servicing the account. 
Yeah. Perhaps. So everything has so far gone off the rails for Jan as far as this pretty big client meeting is concerned. Right. And Michael does not help things get back on track. No. Throughout the entire meeting. As they are really kind of starting to settle in to talking about brass tacks, Michael, apropos of nothing, suggests they get an awesome blossom to, yeah. to split for the table. Extra awesome. And with extra awesome. <laughs> and this is the start of why I love Tim Meadows in this episode so much, because he is kind of clueless. He is the... He is the middle ground between Michael and Jan. That's a good way to describe it. Because Jan is very much all business. Michael is Michael. Mm-hmm. And Tim Meadows' character goes along with Michael while still playing the straight man. Mm-hmm. So when Michael suggests that they get an awesome blossom, Jan's like, no, no, no. We we really don't we don't really really don't need to do that. And Christian's like, no, I, I could take, yeah, I could, I'll I eat could, an awesome blossom. I could blossom. have a small awesome blossom. Yeah, and Michael wants to tell a joke, and and Christian says, okay, I like jokes. Well, I, I like jokes. It's but fine. then Jan insists, just one. <laughs> right. Which then sort of throws Michael because he thought he was gonna kind of get the floor, probably to improv a little bit, but just to give a mini stand-up routine essentially, and he's like. Oh, well, that will change things a little bit. Um, So he has to sort of go back to the drawing board and rely on Pam to get some data, which is just figuring out the best joke. To find a joke for him. So as the night progresses, we see Christian kind of move closer to Michael's side of things. Michael suggests that they get some baby back ribs and of course he and Christian break out into the Chili's baby back ribs song (laughs) yes and then you know another check-in shows the fact that Christian's telling a pretty personal story they all have margaritas in front of them Uh, Michael and Christian have dug into their baby back ribs and Christian's telling a story about his mother and upholding a promise to his mother who it seems like has passed away. So it, it sounds like they're pay, playing truth or dare. Yes. Because Michael then asks Jan, okay, truth or dare, tell us about your divorce. She demurs as you would at a business meeting with someone that you have never met and with your subordinate. And they both sort of needle her a little bit until she relents. And she just kind of lays it out. And Christian, and, and I can't tell if this part is improv, probably, it seems like maybe it would have been, but Christian just says, wow, you were so brave, like, you yeah. put your truth out there, you slit your wrist and said, this is me. <laughs> I'm blood, this is my blood, yeah. <laughs> it is red, just like yours. I bleed, like, kind of this absurd response, but at least giving her a little bit of like emotional affirmation for this heavy truth that she's just shared. And eventually, we see that the trio has moved to the bar. And now they have, well, Michael and Christian have beers and Jan has a water. (laughs) And Michael is sort of actually turning this into a business meeting. Right. He 
slowly steers the conversation back to the business at hand and really does so in a very subtle way. Mm-hmm. Right down the street, mm-hmm. Kenneth Road, born and raised. Spent my whole life right here in Lackawanna County, and I do not intend on moving. I know this place. I know how many hospitals we have. I know how many schools we have. It's home, you know? I know the challenges. County's up against. Here's the thing about those discount suppliers. They don't care. They come in, they undercut everything, and they run us out of business. And then, once we're all gone, we jack up the prices. Uh-huh. It's sad. It's terrible. It is. You know what? It really is. Uh, I don't know. I guess I could give you guys our business, but you have to meet me halfway, okay? Because they're expecting me to make cuts. Well, corporate's going to go ballistic, but uh, you think we could, Jan? Now, I don't want to give Michael too much credit here in that he was playing the long game. Yeah, I don't think he has that sort of forethought. But it is here that we really see... One of the few glimpses that we get in the entire series of a competent Michael and really what makes Michael a good manager and a good salesperson. Yeah, this is probably why he was good at sales. We do see glimpses of this throughout the series, actually. Like he is able to connect for all of his social ineptitude. He is somehow able to connect with clients in a enough of a personal way to close the sale. And Christian does say, you know, I have to cut costs. I have to show, you know, my higher ups that we are we are sticking to a budget. So you have to meet me halfway. And Michael and Jan agree to that. There's probably a number that they were willing to go to to get this client um, that would have made sense. And that works, and that's a really big get for Dendermifflin. And you can sort of see Jan's face in the background as Michael is talking to Christian, and she's she's amazed. Yeah, like there is this moment where it clicks for her that this is clearly happening, and she is just like, wait a minute, yeah. what happened? Because I feel like she had chalked up the evening to like, okay, this was a waste of my time to come from New York this could have been good. She didn't really get the chance to use her charts and graphics and show Christian how they had anticipated and can meet the needs of the county. And and there's even the moment where, like, Jan now knows what's going on. Uh-huh. And she tries to jump in to get, you know, technical again. And Michael's yeah. just like, don't, I got it. Yeah, like, it's we don't need to talk about that type of stuff, which is interesting and as christian drives away like she's still sort of in awe and is like wow we did this like we got him so it's very it is uh a good episode for michael in the sense that the viewers who may up until this point be wondering how in the world this man is managing a branch and how did he succeed in sales like this, you sort of see that somehow he can turn it on and he does have that sales gene and and can make a big sale. Right. Meanwhile, back at the office. Yes. As Michael and Jan are leaving for the day, 
or the hour or however long it was supposed to take. I Jan, Jan is very much like, wait a minute, why do you think this is going to take so long? We should yeah. be gone like an hour. This should be a quick in and out sort of meeting. Yes. Yeah. Which, side note, that is never how meetings go. No. Like, anyone that has ever planned a meeting thinking, oh, this should take maybe 30 minutes to an hour, never. It is, I have rarely been in a meeting that has not taken longer than it should have, mostly because of extraneous nonsense. Yeah. So Michael is set to pretty much dismiss people for the yeah, day. Yeah, just be like, go ahead. And then just gets in this weird thing where he essentially has to prove his worth to Jan. Yeah, because, and the worth of everybody else. Right, because he's like, yeah, they don't they don't work very well when I'm not here. <laughs> and he's like, wait, that's that's not true. They work better when I'm not here. Wait, no, they they work about the same whether I'm here or whether I'm not. Yeah. And so then he turns back to the rest of the employees and, and it's just sit tight sit tight until i get back if that's okay with everybody <laughs> but nope it doesn't matter if it's okay because that's an order so. yeah it's an interesting like michael doesn't do a ton of managing because when you're on commission for a sales job there's not a you know the, really what the manager should be doing is just big picture looking at the numbers, getting everybody motivated, things like that. Now, he doesn't seemingly do that at all, but yeah, people are going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. When Pam gets the phone call from Michael to get the data for him, it is just to find a joke. So he has a <laughs> list of jokes. He's got a stash of joke, joke books in his drawer. Right. Just somewhere... You know, laying around. So, as Pam finds these jokes, she also finds one of the more surprising things that she could have found. <laughs> yeah. And it is a screenplay that Michael has written for a movie called Threat Level Midnight. It is pretty amazing, because it gives us a little bit of insight into Michael's psyche. And it could just be what he wishes he was. So the premise of Threat Level Midnight is that Agent Michael Skarn has to save the world or the country from, from a villain. It's essentially a James Bond riff. Yes. So Pam brings the screenplay to Jim. Jim is so thrilled makes copies for everyone, and they have a table read, essentially. People get assigned parts. Uh, Dwight is enticed with the lead role after after admonishing them for doing it in the first place, and that's enough to sort of get him involved. And then I don't think it even has anything to do with the lead role. I think it's the sense, it's the fact that he would be playing Michael, <laughs> who is the person he looks up to. Yeah, most. that's true. That's true. And there are a lot of interesting characters. Uh, Phyllis is assigned the role of Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is like Michael's assistant that's in love with Michael, but he is not in love with her. <laughs> and there's another character, Samuel L. Chang, who is played by Ryan in the table read, 
who's just this bumbling idiot sidekick of Michael Scarn. And as they're going along, this sidekick is sort of just ruining things for Michael Scarn, and he has to sort of clean up the mess. And it turns out that the assistant was originally named Dwight. And Pam thinks that Michael Scott did a search and replace of Dwight to Samuel L. Chang. But that one Dwight was left misspelled as Dwigged. And that didn't find, and so that wasn't replaced. And Dwight figured it out and was very upset. This part always kind of confuses me because they do an interstitial with Dwight. And Dwight just seems to be very upset that his name was misspelled, not so much that, <laughs> that he's the bumbling. he was the idiot character. Yeah. But then in the, the shot right after this, he is very upset because he is the bumbling character. Yes. So he pretty much calls a halt to this whole thing, kind of storms out of the room, says that if anybody wants a real show... My <laughs> uncle gave me some fireworks, and so I'll be setting those <laughs> off in the parking lot the, yeah, or wherever. These fireworks. And what I love about this screenplay and this episode is that we really don't get a ton about Threat Level Midnight for the rest of the series until the end, until season seven. I'm curious if they always just kind of had that in their back pocket and was like, all right, if we ever need something to just fill an episode, <laughs> we're going to make Threat Level Midnight. That's what I wondered too, because it does seem a little, not throwaway in season seven, but there's not much prelude to it before it's just an episode. And we don't really hear Michael talk about it a ton between this episode and season seven. But he has drawings, like, he has thought a lot about this movie. And he has a lot of, like, Michael has so many interests over the series. You know, he's going to write a management book. He's going to record a series. He just has all these ideas and never really channels into one of them, I would say. (laughs) And the interesting thing is, people are staying late for this table read. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Pam tells Roy that she can't go home with him because she has to work late. Yeah. Now, we don't see everybody. Like, this seems like a thing that Stanley, like, nah, I'm out of here. Yeah, I don't recall seeing him at the table. I don't think I saw. We don't see him. Meredith and Oscar are still there because Oscar gets to play Golden Face. Creed is still there. Creed's still there. Ryan, obviously. I don't believe Angela participated because that doesn't sound like something she would participate in. But we do see her. There's a in shot. The she, there's a shot of her when Dwight gets ready to leave, where she just is. I feel like that is a sort of early on, not really sure how this character was going to develop, not fully fleshed out sort of thing, because in later seasons when people are doing other extraneous things or leaving the office when Michael's out, she does not participate in that. So I have a hard time believing that she would have been fully on board. And I think that's just sort of a, we're not sure what to do with the minor characters yet. Yeah. After Dwight has his outburst, (laughs) Jim suggests, you know what, this is a good time for everybody to just to kind of take a break. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to it. Intermission. He asks Pam if she is hungry. 
And so he goes about basically setting up a rooftop date with mm-hmm. Pam. Mm-hmm. He makes his, quote, famous grilled cheese sandwich uh, for dinner. And really that's, to me, super fitting for who Jim is. Is <laughs> that is that like, of course, Jim would like really like a ch- the grilled cheese sandwiches because he's kind of a boring. Oh, you think like, he's too simple? Yeah. He's like, to me, Jim, Jim is not all that ambitious. Jim is not sure. going to try new things. Jim loves grilled cheese sandwiches. Sure. He is not going to branch out. No. And he will be pleased by simple things. Yep. That's a good way to describe that. So they, so Pam brings a candle up there for the bugs. Like a citronella candle. Right. And they are on the roof and they are watching Dwight and Kevin mess around with the fireworks that Dwight has. They look more like a flare. It's like a sparkler. It's like a ground firework. Yeah. Yeah. It's not anything, nothing is like shooting way into the air. It's just like a bunch of sparks come out of this thing that gets lit on the ground. Yeah. And they then leave together and... Before they go home, they listen to Jim's iPod together. Yeah, like Pam takes one of the earbuds and they're sort of swaying to the music. That's always a super awkward situation, too. To share a head. Yeah, not just that, but just, I mean, especially that, but just to be like, hey, listen to this song. And like you give the person some headphones and then you're just like standing there and like sitting and looking at them. How long is this lesson? Do you like it? <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's just a very odd situation. Jim and Pam are not the only ones having a love connection. After the meeting at Chili's, once they close the sale, Michael and Jan hug. And then they sort of hug again. And Michael My- kisses her on the cheek. Yeah. And then there's that sort of what happens in movies and TV when the two people look at each other for a second and then they kiss. Right. So Jan says, let's get out of here. And Michael is just like, oh, where? We're going, yeah, doesn't what, matter. Let's happening? go. Whoa. Let's go. So they leave together. And Dwight, out of his concern for Michael's well-being, sleeps in the office that night. Because we don't see what happens from there. We just see Michael's car leaving with him and Jan. Right. And the next, the next shot is the next morning. Yes. So Dwight stirs from his sleep on the couch. Under a, like, warming blanket. An emergency blanket. Yeah. yeah. In his underwear. In his underwear. And just wanders around the office looking for Michael, goes into his <laughs> office, and sees that his car is not there, mm-hmm. and sees Jan pull up in a taxi to get into her car. Mm-hmm. So when Michael gets in, Dwight immediately goes into his office and is like, did you do her? (laughs) He starts interrogating Michael. And Michael Michael is sort of like, um, if you've ever seen Parks and Rec, it's like Ron when he wears his red shirt. (laughs) He cannot hide the fact that there's a skip to his step. A little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the documentary crew, the camera people are asking him what happened. And 
and you know, where'd you go? And he's like, well, a gentleman doesn't kiss and tell, and I don't either, like, you know, trying to tell a silly joke. And eventually he relents without much pressure because they know Michael. Yeah, he, and, and he wants to he tell He does. This. He's bursting at the seams, and he just says, well, nothing really happened. We just made out for a little bit, and she told me about her divorce, and we talked, and then she fell asleep on my arm. And you can tell as Jan is getting into her car that she's she's got some regrets. She's pretty horrified because Angela is pulling into the parking lot and getting out of her car. So you know that Angela's probably early or very on time to work. Then she sees Dwight looking out of the window at her. So the jig is up for her. She's getting a little concerned as to the fallout from last night. Jan ends up calling Michael and just kind of wants to clear the air about what happened the night before. And we yes. only get Michael's end <laughs> of the conversation, but you can tell it is not what he wants to hear. But he does start with just oh a lot of God. platitudes. He's like, hey, oh, hey, how are you I doing? Miss you. I miss you. And How's traffic? Yeah. And he's just trying to have small talk with Jan. And it's a really good way to shoot this because, you know, you see Michael slowly deflating. Right. Without hearing the other end of the conversation. Right. And he says, well, if that was a mistake, it was a great mistake. (laughs) And you can see, yes, like you said, just see him start to deflate. Almost literally because he ends up taking the phone call to underneath his desk, like just to hide from from the the camera. And everybody else in the office. And he says that this is just a fight in their relationship. It's <laughs> the one of many night. one of many fights that they're going to have. <laughs> so he is in denial and he is holding on to the slightest bit of affection that he got from Jan, which is very similar to what has happened between Jim and Pam. Yeah. Jim, in talking to Pam at the desk about what had happened between Jan and Michael, says that, you know, some might say that we had our first date last night. Which is a very bold statement. Absolutely. To make. And, of course, because Pam can't set boundaries and kind of address the feelings that she has for Jim goes right with it. Doesn't say, no, we didn't have a date because I'm engaged. Right. She's just like, oh yeah, why would you say that? And Jim goes through the litany, candlelight dinner, fireworks, a show because of the movie, dancing. And she's like, we didn't dance. That's what she pushes back on. We didn't dance. Jim's like, okay, we swayed. She's like, that's not dancing. And you could tell that, She's sort of saying that to distance herself from this idea of a first date. But then Jim gets wounded and he does a callback to a conversation that people were having in the break room the day before about worst first dates. And Jim says to Pam, well, at least I didn't leave you at a high school hockey game because she had told this anecdote about how on her worst first date will top them all because she was taken to a minor league hockey game 
with the man's brother. She went to the bathroom at the end of the game. They left her, forgot about her, and had to come back. Mm -hmm. Turns out that man was Roy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you go on a second date with someone after that. Though, they were in high school, we find out. Yeah, and that's just, I think that's one of those funny things that happen to where you're just like okay like if everything up until that point was at least fine Mm -hmm. it's it it is just a funny anecdote that you can tell and like okay let's we can give this another shot in a more common date scenario sure yeah like if things were yeah okay except for them leaving you or something but that is a shot below the belt to Pam. Absolutely. Like, clearly she is still bothered by this fact. And she's embarrassed by the fact that it's her fiancé. To me, it is... It's not necessarily a a shot at her relationship. I mean, I guess for Jim, yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. But it is, I think, for Pam and the way that she reacts to this and really any other time that something comes up with Roy... I think it's because deep down she knows this is not the relationship she should be in. Yeah. She is not happy in her engagement with Roy, but she is not strong enough to address that and call everything off. Right. So when stuff like this gets brought up, she essentially closes off, gets guarded, Mm -hmm. and... Kind of makes it seem like it's the other person's fault. Right, because as soon as Jim says that, she's like, she clams up and says, I have some faxes to get out. So Jim goes back to his desk. But then we hear him tell the camera, well, I guess it's not really a date if a girl goes home to her fiancé. And you kind of see him looking contemplative at his desk. This is going to be hopefully a turning point for him. It's one of those things where, okay, he had this really nice, evening with Pam in his mind but then the next day it's sort of ruined quote unquote by the fact that she still has a fiance and there is the kind of this knowing look between Michael and Jim that you know kind of like a women right Mm -hmm. even though at this point Michael doesn't know about Jim and Pam's feeling towards each other. Right. Michael could just be feeling the connection of someone else is sort of having an off day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh God, this episode is a hard watch as far as this last topic, you know, this love is in the air topic for us because you look at this objectively and we've talked about this a little bit before on, on downsizing. You look at this objectively as an adult And you think, oh, man, Jim, like, do something for yourself, buddy. Like, break this, do something else, find something else. This Mm -hmm. is not a healthy situation for you, and it's not fair to you. Um, now, you know, it's, it's a TV show and sort of like the, the building up to will they, won't they sort of thing, but... If this is you out there, if this is your situation and you are the gym, you deserve better than that. You don't have to wait around for someone that doesn't have the capacity to give you what you need right now. And Curtis is laughing right now. 
But some, but somewhere out there, someone might need to hear that. And it's okay. You're not hurting that other person. Do what you need to do for you. Yes. Curtis is still laughing, but... <laughs> Thank you for getting very deep on us there, Anna. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up the episode. And it is one that a lot happens in without a lot happening, I guess. Sure. You... We're really setting up for... For what's to come. But it was a really good episode. It, it definitely is. It is one of my favorites, if only because, I mean, even for some reason, in his limited screen time, Tim Meadows just, he he gets me. Yeah, it was a good cameo, like you said. Right. So let's head back to the annex with Antoinette to find out any fun facts about this episode. So speaking of Tim Meadows... A great deal of the part at Chili's between Michael and Christian was improvised by Steve Carell and Tim Meadows. Now, I guess a lot of it didn't actually make it into the final cut of the episode, but the Baby Back Ribs song was improvised. I think some of Christian's backstory with his mom is improvised. And so it's it's to a credit to Melora Hardin, who's playing Jan, that she's able to sort of stay in character when there's this back and forth banter and not knowing what's going to happen between the two of them and to keep that scene as it is. Um, the Chili's that we see is actually a different Chili's than from the Dundies, well, which is also funny. And the idea for the relationship between Jane and Michael was actually an idea from Steve Carell back when they were shooting the pilot, which I think is really funny and they had good forethought because that that's a lot of the storylines that we see for Michael and learning how Michael is in a relationship. In the next morning scene, you see Michael talking to the camera about um, registering their relationship with HR and that will mm-hmm. continue to play a big role in Michael and Jan's relationship. And it's to Michael, it's a love contract. It's a symbol of their love. Um, and I also kind of love the part where Michael's talking about how he grew up in Lackawanna County and he doesn't intend to move. And this is where he's going to stay. Well, we, we know that Michael does end up moving to Colorado with Holly. And so that really shows the transformation of that character. Well, he did grow up and, um, have his formative years in Lackawanna County, life has taken him elsewhere. And finally, this episode was written by Paul Lieberstein, who plays Toby. So this is actually a really good one, and it kind of shows off his his skills. So as for firings, we don't really get any this episode. No. Beyond the usual people not doing their jobs. Yeah, not doing work, but... You know, <laughs> that'll happen yeah. sometimes. We, I think we have kind of made the decision to let those things slide for the sake of this podcast because, well, that's basically the entire <laughs> show, the show is people not working. So, that being said, do you have any Dundies to give out, Antoinette? Uh, I do. The Dundee for the best way to kill time at work goes to Michael for writing an entire screenplay complete with drawings. That has to kill a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Mine goes to... Mine is the best actor, Dundee. That goes to Dwight (laughs) for both his uh, stirring role as Muty, the mailman in his (laughs) grade school production of Oklahoma, but also during the table read, he just... He's a terrible actor. He like he just the reading that he does is very monotone and broken. 
and it just doesn't translate well too. So it it's no wonder he was given the role of Mutie, <laughs> the mailman. Sure. Who do you have as your employee of the month? Uh, I'm giving it to Michael for his deft handling of uh, Lackawanna County as a potential client and for closing the sale with his emotional connection. What about you? I have Michael as the my employee of the month for the same reason. Uh, he really turns that around and shows his ability as a salesman to make connections with the client and to show them why going with Dunder Mifflin is the right move for them, which really, in essence, is exactly what you need to do as a salesperson. It is not necessarily about the dollars and cents of things, but just the connection that you can make with that person. Sometimes people will be willing to spend a little more money or kind of sacrifice maybe some of the bells and whistles that you might get with a different company if they can establish a personal relationship with the company that you work for. For sure. So that does it for us today. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest episode updates and to follow us on the podcasting medium of your choice. Again, to know when the new episodes come out. So that does it for us today. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time. See ya.